He's right, I don't ever enjoy that part of it. But I'm always honored to be here. You generally know, well, of course, I, I get pretty easily intimidated in this place. God's placed some extraordinary people here. They don't have to look far for people who carry a word. Let me get organized here. My heart is very full this morning. And you're fortunate that the Super Bowl is later in the day. I'll try to keep myself disciplined to what I'm supposed to do here. The other day we were sitting around the table at Teen Challenge, and now that I know it's not a Teen Challenge service, but um, we were, the staff, some of us were sitting around the table, and the question was asked, does anybody have anything you'd like to share? One at a time, all around the room. Different ones began to talk about how God was affecting their life and what was taking place. And it so blessed me. I was sitting down on the inside or on the outside but inside I was dancing all over that dining room I just thank God thank you for your everlasting mercy that you would tend to any of us no matter our condition or where we come from is that God would see fit to breathe on us what a blessing we're like blessed this morning with this worship, and I was caught up. One of the staff said to me later on, I see she come in, her face was all smiley, and I said, I aggravate everybody. I said, well, what's the matter with you? And she said, I am so full. I am just so full. That's how I feel this morning. I feel very full. I honestly don't feel like sharing. I feel like just standing up here and crying. These times when God begins to move in our midst and begins to breathe on us and this kind of worship comes out, I just want to stay in that place. You don't want to move out of it. You older you get, you begin to value those places. I know there's not any old people here. But, but I brought my phone up here for a reason. I don't do good with this mic, but... Uh, as you'll know, if you've ever been around me, when I start sharing, my nose starts running. I think it's an Oklahoma problem. 
I want to read you a little text. I'll probably get in trouble for this, but it wouldn't be the first time I've been in some kind of trouble. But One of the little ladies that said, I thought it might give you an update, one of the little gals that has sat in this fellowship for at least a year and a half has since moved on now, and you always wonder what happens to them. This is from a little friend. I'll leave her nameless. I thought about her the other day. She's been gone for quite a bit of time, and I sent her a text. How many old people here text? Text. That's what I figured. I sent her a simple text. I said, how are you doing? You have to get the language here, but it says, Larry, weird, crazy God timing of your text. I was in the middle of talking with a girl who went through a Florida teen challenge. We were at a citywide worship night where a bunch of Denver churches came together for a corporate night of worship and prayer. And all the guys, which just bothered me a little bit, and all the guys of Denver Teen Challenge were there, and God wrecked my heart so much tonight. He manifested His call on my life in an amazing way, and I cannot get enough. Honestly, I've been dealing with how badly I want to be taken to higher levels with the Lord, and I know He has plans for my future, but I crave it. I'm so in love with Him. I'm so grateful for Teen Challenge, and I look back on my time there and weep at how sweet and how unique that time was. So there's a quick version of how I'm doing. How are you? I said, better now that I've heard from you. So if you ever wonder what happens to all these people when they leave, you trust God that they do well. Everybody stand with me, would you? Now turn and face somebody. If you had marital issues this morning, it's be a good time to clear them up. <laughs> Say, bless the Lord, Lord. O oh, my, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Is bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh, my, oh, my soul, and forget none of His benefits. He's forgiven all of my iniquities. He has and is healing all of my diseases. He's redeemed my life from destruction. And He's crowned it with loving kindness and tender mercies. He's making me a tree of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. Blessed be His name. Amen.
You may be seated. If that didn't fix your marital issues, <laughs> Pastor Todd's here after church. Other pastoral staff can meet with you. Don't come to me. I've always been taught the best advice is not to give any. I'm in the book of Ruth this morning. This book has consumed me for about three weeks. I've always liked the book. It's just four chapters. But God was speaking to me a little ways back. And I didn't know what to do with what he was speaking to me. And Pastor Dan had asked me if I would share it today while he was gone. And I thought, well, I have these things God's been talking to me about, but I don't know what to do with them. Maybe this is the time. And he took me to the book of Ruth. What a book. It's right after the judges, and it was during the time of the judges were judging, and it's before the book of Samuel, if you're looking for it. It's an amazing four chapters with amazing people. I am so glad it was put in where it was. There's a lot of major books and a lot of major and minor prophets and a lot of things, but this book seems to be not a biography, not necessarily a history, but a story at some point in history. I began to look at the tapestry of the bloodline going through this book. And it amazed me. How the blood wove its way all the way back through this little four chapters. Now, you know, if, you, if you're Indian, American Indian, and you have any blood in you whatsoever, I speak for Oklahoma, by the way, how many people from Oklahoma here? Should have known. <laughs> if you have any Indian blood in you whatsoever, you can go back to the tribal council. You can find one of your relatives in the role, and you can get a card that says you're one-eighth or one-sixteenth or however far back it goes, which opens up all the privileges of that tribe to you. Well, this tapestry flowing through these four chapters goes all the way back 
and I'm sure I'll slaughter these names, but Perez all the way back to Judah. That was Perez's father, was Judah. And it weaves its way all the way up, and I won't go through all of those names, but it eventually gets to Rahab. And you know that story because she showed favor to the spies and she hid them. I just got to thinking about it one day and I felt like dancing again. It wove back into Rahab, the harlot, who was a Gentile who birthed Boaz. Then Boaz married Ruth, who had Obed, who birthed Jesse, who was the father of David. And it continues right on up to the Messiah. In that bloodline, there was at least three foreign people. Gentile blood was woven into that blood. Now, how far it reaches and how long it goes... I don't know. But the thought hit my mind. What an amazing Christ. We talk about multiracial, multicultural, cultural. And the whole time, all the way back into the bloodline of Christ, he was weaving room for the Gentiles. In his DNA already was preparation to carry us right up to the Messiah. That bloodline already, stuff was woven in there that covered the base. And when Paul said there's neither Jew nor Gentile, Greek nor Hebrew, male nor female, it was already carried through the bloodline. I saw this in that book and I thought, hallelujah, there was room for me in that bloodline somewhere. It was the mixing of the Gentile blood into the line of Jesus. And it was making provision for all of us. This little book stretches 42 generations from Abraham to David. It reaches from David to the point of exile and all the way from exile all the way to Jesus. It reaches literally from Abraham all the way to heaven. I think, what a little book. I begin to delve into this book. It doesn't have that many characters. Elimelech was the husband of Naomi. You know this story. But I saw in the book of Ruth pictures of the church and the things that God had given me. I thought, wow, I'm going to share them with you this morning. It was like I had snapshots of where the church is and what God's calling the church to. The first thing I saw was He's calling us in the book of Ruth to the place of deep surrender. I'm not just talking about coming to know the Lord. I'm talking about that deep place of surrender that ultimately leads to the deep place of discipline in our life. 
The second thing I saw was the call to submission. Are we ready to do what He has for us to do? The third thing that I saw was the place of discipline or separation. Are we disciplined to do what He has told us to do? It's a book of destiny and a purpose. It's a book of loss and a blessing. It's a book of devastation and healing. It's a book of separation and celebration. Sometimes, just like in this book, as we get into it, in our devastation, something in us dies. How many of you ever been devastated in your life? How many of you know something can die in you sometimes? Something in our loss, something, something in us stops breathing. Has anybody ever had that kind of loss? That something in you felt like it stopped breathing. David was familiar with that kind of trauma. He said in Psalms 18 that God had delivered him from a, narrow, a very narrow place that he was walking. He said it was so narrow that I got to where I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was panicking. Has anybody ever been in that kind of place? When I was a kid, my dad used to crawl under the house, and we had an old frame house with a haydock block uh, pier and bean thing. My dad had one brick, one haydock block. You know what size a haydock block is. One block that he kept loose in that foundation. And when we needed to make repairs, my dad would pull that haydock block out. And he was pretty broad-shouldered, not a big man, a thin man. But he would wiggle himself through that one spot. I look back at it, and I wonder why he didn't take two out. But <laughs> Nevertheless, he had one haydock block, and he'd pull that thing out, and he'd shimmy himself, and I was his shadow. Everywhere my father went, I went that I could go. My father's name was Julius, and everywhere Julius went, I was little Julius. I went with him to buy my mother things for Valentine's and Christmas, and they'd look over the counter and say, is that little Julius? So when my dad squirmed through this haydock block, I would be out there right behind him, and as young as I was, and as narrow as my shoulders were, I'd get started in that little hole, and I'd get a little bit tight for me, and I, all the panic started hitting my mind. I'd think, well, what if there's spiders under here? What if there's a snake under our house? What if I can't get out of here fast enough? Well, I found out you can move pretty fast. It's amazing what you can do in a small space when you're afraid. But this wasn't an adrenaline issue for David. He said, I come to a place in my life and I couldn't breathe. 
But God, he said, brought me out from the narrow place where I was breathless and I couldn't get my second wind and brought me into an enlarged place of his presence where I could breathe freely and I was deathless and I was happy. Relief. An enlarged place of his presence. I'm here to tell you this morning that our God wants to bring new life to us out of that place of death and desperation. That deep place of loss and separation. He wants to bring us into an enlarged place of His presence where we can breathe freely. What I'm saying to you this morning, if you're in that place or you're coming through that place, is that God hears you this morning. He hears you. Now you'll have to give me just a minute here to bless the Lord. He is Jehovah God. And He is the God of everything. But He delights in using nothingness. He is Jehovah God. And He is the God of fullness. But He brings things out of emptiness. He is Jehovah God. And He's the God of all things. Rich but loves to call things out of poverty. He's Jehovah God, and He is the God of all things, living, but delights in calling things out of death. He is Jehovah God, and He is the God of all possibilities, but He loves to call things out of impossibilities. He is Jehovah God, and He is the God of all life, but He loves to call things out of barrenness. He makes streams in desert places. And He makes a way where there is no way. Not even the possibility of a way. God makes a way through that place. He is the God of surprises. And He loves to astound His people. So this morning, He hears you. And if you're coming through a narrow place and a difficult place, He's about to bring you into an enlarged room of His presence. What is an impossibility for you is a possibility for God. I saw this in Ruth, the first chapter. The first thing I want to talk to you about, and I want to get through it a little bit quick, because I get really long. It's the place of conversion and of surrender. It's the call to surrender. My question to you would be simple. Does God have you? I didn't ask if you were saved. You may be like me. One of those people that got saved approximately 652 times. So many times I got saved, I couldn't even remember the date of my origin. I'm just saved. It was the place of conversion, the call to the ultimate place of surrender. Do I have you? Let me lead a little bit of this story to you. Elimelech, his wife Naomi, his sons Malan 
and Kilion and all of, they were all Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They all went to the country of Moab and settled there. Elimelech died and Naomi was left. And I think, wow, that's a pretty blunt statement. Not much said after that. Elimelech died and Naomi was left. She and her sons, the sons, took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Orpah. Probably missed that. The second was Ruth. They lived there in Moab for the next 10 years. Verse 5 says, But then two brothers, Malon and Kilion, died. Now the woman was left without either her young, her young men or her husband. What a loss. Sometimes we hurry through these things and you don't feel the pain or the, the trauma of all that kind of stuff. She lost her husband and then she lost a son and then she lost another son. This was Naomi who left Bethlehem, the place of plenty because there was a famine there. It was called the house of bread. Elimelech decided to move from that place because bread was getting a little scarce and there was a famine there. So they took off to the land of Moab. A place they had never been. They heard that God was supplying. There was enough food there and, and so there wasn't a famine. So they took off to the Moab. And now at Moab... There was great loss in her life. Naomi said, when I left Bethlehem, I was full. Her name was Pleasant. I was rich. I had a husband and two sons. But now she has left. After all these ten years with just herself and her two daughter-in-laws, And I like this verse in 6. It says, one day she got herself together. She was just left with this pain. And now she said, one day she just got herself together. She pulled herself together. Have you ever had that experience? I know some of us are so spiritual. We couldn't. We can't get there. But have you ever had that experience that I just need to pull myself together? Tomorrow is already here. I got to do something different. So you pull your lifeless self up in all the midst of the loss and the chaos. Say, so we need to go to a different spot. Why sit we here and die? 
One day she got herself together and she and her two daughter-in-laws got them ready to leave the country of Moab and set out for home. What a place you want to be is home. Anybody ever get like that? Anybody ever dream about, boy, if I could, when, when stuff starts hitting the fan and you just don't feel right, stuff's hard on you and you start saying to yourself, boy, if it was just simple, if I could just be back home and sit at my mother's table and drink a big, good glass of iced tea and, and eat a good homemade meal, if I could just get back home. the country of Moab and she set out for home Bethlehem Judah that's the place that was rich it's full of history it's the place where Jacob fed his sheep in the olden days and Jesse raised his sons there it's where Boaz's field was it's where Ruth gleaned in the field it's the place of Pleasure. It's where the angels sung over the birth of the Messiah. She said, if I could just get back home. I got to pull myself together. And she heard that God had been pleased to visit his people and give them food. And she started out for the, from the place she had been living she and her two daughters-in-law with her and on the road back to the land of Judah, headed home. Some of you probably saying, if I could just get home now. There's other verses, but I catch up to verse 15. And Naomi said, look at your sister-in-law. She's going back home to live with her own people and gods. Orpah had decided to go back home. She gave them the choice on the road to Judah. She said, why don't you go back home to your family and to what you're familiar with? It's the place you grew up. And they kissed each other and Orpah decided to leave and head back to Moab. But Ruth, something was happening in Ruth. And God knows we need more Naomi's. So there'd be a lot more Ruths. That woman must have been something. Naomi said to her, look at your sister-in-law. She's headed back home to live with her own. And with her people and her gods. Why don't you go with her? Now I don't know if you're familiar with the Moabites or not. But it was a land full of idolatry. It had all kinds of gods. It was a very twisted place at times in history. 
It's where the horrible God, every time you see this God's name, it always is the horrible God of the Moabites, Shamash. He intertwined worship with sexual behavior. There's where the Israelites got in trouble when they were in the land of Moab and they started mingling with the harlots of Moab and started flaunting themselves in front of Moses. Don't you remember 24,000 people that day were killed? One of them danced his way back to the tent with one of the harlots, and I believe his name was, and I'm sure I'll slaughter this too, Phineas. He took a sword and pierced him right through, both of them right through the midsection, and the word says, and the curse was broke. Moab was full of this idolatry. And here's Orpah, she's headed back to what she knew and what was familiar. And the word's clear, she went back to her people and her gods. It doesn't say that Orpah and Ruth were sisters. They were just sister-in-laws. They could have come up in different homes with different rearings. But in verse 16 it says, But Ruth said, Now let me tell you something, this verse right here is more than something that's inscribed on a piece of James Avery jewelry or that's set at marriage ceremonies. This is a huge verse. But Ruth said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Now here we got somebody that's Naomi who's left home, went to Moab and now is headed back home. But now you got Ruth, who hadn't ever left home, who's leaving home for a place she's not familiar with at all. She too had lost a husband. It was like the companionship of grief and sorrow. Have you ever had great loss in your life and then found you got familiar with somebody else that had loss and you just wanted to sit and weep? Now headed back is Ruth who's lost her husband, Naomi who's lost two sons and a husband. And Ruth said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Something's happening in Ruth. Wherever you live, I live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God's. There's something happening in her. God's birthing something in, in Ruth. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me secure, severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. What a commitment. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more.
Ruth had not only become a daughter-in-law to Naomi, but she had become now a friend. And now she becomes more or less a student. And there's a conversion taking place in her life. Something's happening in her. Through the admiration of Naomi, her heart has seen something she desires. And she's willing to leave what's familiar to go there. And now she's coming to a place of total surrender. Surrender that means to resign in the favor of another. That's what surrender means. To yield to that place. Ruth leaves Moab, her family, her gods. She says bye to the horrible god of Shamash. She leaves more or less the place of perversion and now she's headed for the place of promise. This Shamash was a major thing. It is a major thing in our world today too. Solomon even built a shrine to Shamash and the horrible god of the Moabites. Ruth left all that was familiar to herself and and now God had purpose and destiny for her. I'm saying to you this morning, maybe you've been dwelling in the land of a little bit of perversion and twisted thinking and now God is calling you out to a deep place of surrender all to Him. He is asking you to surrender to His favor. Maybe you've just been dwelling in the place of personal ambition, fulfilling your own desires, and God wants to call you into purpose and destiny and design. I remember a wise man I know in 91 made this statement, it is possible to fulfill all of your ambitions and never touch your purpose in life. He said, Father said, that's because ambition is related to personal desire. But purpose is related to destiny. There was something of destiny on this world. Maybe you've been in that place of just fulfilling your own ambitions and desires and now God's calling you out from that place to the place of purpose and destiny. God had more for Ruth that He would weave the bloodline down to a Moabite and out of her would come a marriage to Boaz and out of Ruth would come Obed and out of Obed would come Jesse, and out of Jesse would come David, and out of David would come the Son of God. She laid down all that was familiar and what was ambition to her, and now she hooked into destiny. I'm telling you this morning that I have a word for you, that God has heard you in your place of devastation, your place of loss. He hears you this morning, and He's taken you from that place, 
and plugging you into a new place of destiny if you'll surrender everything to him. Does he have you this morning? Simple as that. That same wise man I know who generally sits back over there He said, there's always sufficient grace to fulfill your destiny. There isn't any grace to go back to what's familiar. There is grace to go forward. There's sufficient grace this morning. If God is breathing on you, bringing new destiny in your life, He is pouring the grace on you to do it. Now God wants to birth something new in Ruth and Naomi. Naomi didn't enter Bethlehem the same as she left. She was almost unrecognizable. Life had been hard for her in the land of Moab. She was almost not known when she entered the streets. The other women of the city were looking at her really close. You know how women do. They're always into fashion and design and stuff that's going on. They're all up into that kind of stuff. And they're checking her out. Naomi's not the simple, pleasant Naomi anymore. Her shoulders are slumped. And the weight of loss is bared down on her. She said, the Almighty has been angry with me. Don't call me Naomi the pleasant one anymore. Call me bitter. You may have been through great loss and difficulty in your life. And your shoulders may be slumped this morning. You may be a bit little bent over and unrecognizable to the others around you. But hear me this morning. God has heard you and He's bringing you to a new place of destiny if you'll just surrender everything to Him. The ladies were checking her out. They didn't see those nice designer boots. Her clothes were a little bit out of fashion because fashion had been on her mind a whole lot lately. She didn't have her hair all fixed up different in in time. Frankly, she just didn't look that good. And one of the ladies said, isn't that Naomi? Where's her husband? Where's Elimelech? And where's the two sons? Her boys are not with her. Not only had her physical appearance changed, her whole life had been turned upside down. And in the midst of that, she felt dead inside. And yet little did she know that this little Moabite lady was woven into her life to bring new purpose to her. You say, what would that be? Well, when Ruth had Obed, 
they called her little Naomi's child or Naomi's little child because she held her, held him and rocked him and took care of him and laughed with him. God brought something new into her life. Now God wants to birth something in them. He births things in our loss and our death. He brings new life. The second thing I want to visit with you about, and I'll try to hurry. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Thank you. Just give me a minute. I'll make this quick. First one, surrender. Does he have you? Now God calls Ruth to a place of submission. My two best things to say, and I have no time to say them. That call to submission. Little different than surrender. And I'm going to skip over, and I can't read it all, but I'll just tell you it's in Ruth 3, verses 1 through 4. It's where... When Naomi and Ruth got to Bethlehem, Ruth said, I need to go out and glean in the fields. We need something to eat. Little did she know she landed in Boaz's field and started gleaning there. When she returned home, Naomi said to Ruth, she brought the grain in and she said, what field have you been gleaning in today? You know, that would be a good question to ask ourselves. What field have we been gleaning in today? She said, it's in a man's field called Boaz. She didn't know Boaz from Ahab. A man named Boaz, and Naomi recalled, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. She said, tomorrow you go back to that field and don't glean in any other field. And Boaz began to take note of her. Said, who is that little Moabite lady gleaning in my field? And over a little time, you know the story, he said, just leave a little extra behind for Ruth so she can glean and have more than enough. This call to submission came just a little bit shortly after that when Boaz began to show interest in her and had her to sit and eat and drink with him and his workers. He instructed the workers to leave her alone, but to watch out for her. Then there come that wisdom out of Naomi when she came back home and Naomi told Ruth, Tonight, when Boaz comes into the threshing floor, you go lay down at his feet. 
Her intent was not to sleep with him. Her intent was to lay at his feet and to be covered over with his blankets. And she said, when he, awake, when he wakes up, he will tell you what to do. She laid there and about midnight, Boaz woke up. He had slept there where the harvest had been brought in so that none of it would be taken. And that he'd be there early in the morning when the workers arrived at the threshing floor. And I thought, I thought Naomi's advice was wonderful. She said, when he, you go lay down at his feet, and when he awakes, he will tell you what to do. Lay at the feet of your kinsman redeemer, and he will instruct you what to do. This is a picture of total submission. Not only did she come to the place of surrender that God has her. Now she's at the place that God has something for me to do. And she laid there at the feet of the kinsman redeemer and says, what is it I'm to do? You know what, this morning, a good place for the church to be is at the feet of the Redeemer and just wait there till He tells us what to do. Lay at His feet, He'll tell you what to do. When He asked, who are you? She said, I'm your servant, Ruth. She couldn't wait for him to tell her what to do. She said, she replied, spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. You can rescue my mess I'm in. There's where servanthood starts. It's at the feet of the redeemer. We need to lay ourselves this morning at the feet of Christ, our near kinsman, our covenant redeemer. He is the bone of our bone and the flesh of our flesh. And wait for Him to tell us what to do. She washed herself and anointed herself and laid at His feet. It was a place of total submission, of humility and obedience. She was yielded and resigned at that place to His authority. Are you ready to do what He has for you to do? James says in chapter 4 verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God and humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall exalt you. Submit your mind to the truth of God and submit your will to His precepts. Submit yourself to God for He is ready to do you good. Give me just a minute. It's time we wait until He tells us what to do, church. It's past time to stop looking at the trendsetters and start looking to the Savior. It doesn't matter how others are doing it. What does matter is what He wants you to do. Not just to be different, but to be right. 
It may cause you to stand out or stand alone, but if that's what God says to do, do it with all of your might. I'm amazed at the music industry. Many times, and I know little of it, but many times, most of the music, the people that sang it, they grew up in a church choir. That, that, that passion for music was birthed in their church. And the church was the trendsetter for music. we got to be careful that we don't respond and try to allow the world to be the trendsetter for our music. It still needs to be birthed in the church. God's bringing us to the place of destiny. We can't afford to be a seeker-friendly church. We need to be a Christ-centered church. Doesn't matter what they're doing in Southern California or Arizona. It matters what He's told you to do. Do it. He is the head and we are the body. We need to stop treating Him like He's the foot. And to take us where we want to go and bless what we do. He is the head of the church. Preach myself plumb exhausted. We're supposed to go where he takes us and do what he wants us to do. Led by the Holy Spirit of God. Recently, Pastor Dan called me into the office. How many have been called in the office? It's not funny. I love that guy. He called me into his office and we were talking about another matter. And he said to me, Larry, Teen Challenge had been in a service. He asked me how it went. I said it was a production. There was so many lights flashing on and off. The place was so dark, it was worse than a theater. I couldn't even find my seat. And I'm just 64 years old. Had a little light, night lights down at the bottom of the steps, and I'm coming into that place, and I'm, I'm feeling my way. Maybe feelings don't work for you, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find God in all this stuff going on. I managed to set through that production, and when I left, Charlene called me and said, what did you think? Before I could say it, she said, it was a production. I said, bingo. We can orchestrate God out of everything. Doing our own thing. Pastor Dan, after I unloaded that on him, he said to me, Larry, I don't want to go anywhere that the Spirit of God doesn't go. I said to him, I'm thankful for you. This is the place I'm supposed to be. If God takes us there, I'm in. We need to hear God. It's a day when we can't just call out the name generally God. We got to be specific as to the God we worship. We can't skirt the issues anymore with verbal rhetoric of generalities. We're afraid to speak to the issue. The church is already bowed down. 
In Houston, Texas, they call for all the pastors to turn in their sermon notes to the mayor to see what they spoke on. So they flooded her office with literature and Bibles and sermon notes. And I said, hallelujah, sit down in the office and read a little of that. We can speak to the issue. Sin is still sin. It still is what it is. Let me get on out of that and I'll get to the last thing. Still time for the Super Bowl. <laughs> Ruth 3, 6 to 9. You can read it when you get home. First off, does he have you? Second, are you ready to do what he has for you to do? Now is the call to separation and to discipline. Are you disciplined to do it? Discipline means I'm willing to be instructed, subjecting to order and correction and admonition and chastening. Are you disciplined to do what He has for you to do? Not only did she submit herself at the feet of Boaz and wait for him to tell her what to do, now she's on the floor, the threshing floor, where there's separation taking place. The church, we need to find ourselves on the threshing floor and be separated from what is ailing us and what is separating us from the Christ. It's the place where they took the wheat or the barley and they beat it and shook the grain loose from it and then took pitchforks and pitched it up in the air. But get this. They built the threshing floor in the highest place of the field. And they lined the floor, the threshing floor, with stones. And there they threw all the barley or the corn down and they beat it and separated what is the grain from what is the chaff. Then they took those pitchforks and pitched it up into the air. And because it was on the highest place in the field, the wind began to blow the chaff away. I hope you're with me this morning. If we can but get to the threshing floor, it's the place of separation. And as, as that our lives are laid out at that place, the wind of the Spirit is blowing through that threshing floor and it's bringing separation from what we don't need and what is the pure place of ministry. It's in the Spirit where He separates things unto Himself. It is where discipline begins. It, it's a place of separation. The church for years tried to bring ourself out. We said, be ye separate and come out from among them. So we did, and we were weird. 
Separation's the work of the wind of the Spirit blowing, and it's blowing through this fellowship. And what God's doing is separating what's useful to Him from the stuff that doesn't matter. It's blowing through the threshing floor. And that's what Naomi said to Ruth, go because he is, that, that Boaz is winnowing the barley tonight and he makes entertainment in tonight. You know, something I noticed in that scripture was this, in Ruth 3 and 2, is that where there's the place of separation and discipline, there's the place of celebration. I wish my leg wasn't hurting so bad. I'd just start jumping around up here really pretty quick. There's celebration where God's cutting stuff loose from us. Boaz would dance and they would sing with all the workers as the wheat and the pure grain fell to the floor, the threshing floor. And the word says they danced and celebrated at the place of separation. Will you stand with me please? God's wanting to separate useless things from you. Are you willing to be disciplined to do what it is He has for you to do? The church in general too long has said we'll eat our own bread and we'll wear what we want to wear but just let us be called by your name so we won't bear any reproach. I want you to know this morning we're going to have to wear what he wears and that's his righteousness and eat what he eats and that's the bread of life in order for us to be different. You can't make yourself different because you dress different or look different or sit in a different place. It is only the wind of the Spirit that begins to blow. Now however uneloquent this has been for me to share this, I believe God put it in my heart for this fellowship. Does He have you? Maybe this morning you've just been lost in the devastation. And your shoulders are slumped and you feel like I can't bear anymore. God's ready to birth something new there. Second, are you willing to do what He has for you to do? Speak carefully. It'll require that place of yielding to His favor. When others choose to party, you'll have to bury your face in the carpet. He's separating people in this fellowship to himself. And that wind is going to be blowing through this, through this place. I could speak in general to the church and have this morning. I'm speaking specifically now. Is in this fellowship that wind has been blowing. It's blowing the useless things out of our lives. Maybe you've just been plugged into a place of perversion and twisted thinking. 
maybe you sit in this place every Sunday and you feel horrid because your mind's so twisted you can't focus. I'm speaking to you this morning is that God is calling you out. Not for embarrassment. You see, but the enemy, he seeks the precious ones. Those are the ones for destruction. He marks your life. If he can get you derailed and get your mind off of his business, he's got you. God's calling you out. If you're in that place this morning, I'm not making a big long altar call out of this. I'm not even through. But I want you to step out this morning. I don't care if there's one. I don't care if there's 200. It doesn't matter to me. If God is calling you out to a place of surrender, I want you to step to the front. Don't come if he's not. He's calling you out. And you're willing to say, Lord, I want to do what it is you have for me to do. I want to do it. And you're willing to submit yourself to the Lord. Your shoulders may be slumped with your past. You may not even be recognizable. To all the other people. You may feel like because of what you've done and where you've been struggling to be really known, it's better for us to stay in obscurity. But God is calling you out. This is not people, this is God calling you out. He's the one. That will bring a total place of submission to your life. He is the one who will bring a great place of separation to you. God did bring new life to Naomi. She had a grandson. And she loved that baby. Something sprung, something of life sprung in her. She started laughing again. She had purpose. Little did she know that purpose was woven in through a Moabite. We don't have to be all that for God to call us out. All we have to do is be willing to lay ourselves at His feet. I want to pray for you this morning.
I need a brother to a brother and a sister to a sister. If you're in this place and you're a sister, go stand behind a sister. There's a reason why I'm saying that. If you're a brother, find a brother. I'm sorry I've been so long. Now we sung this morning. Stephanie did. She sung, speak, Lord. Well, he's, he's speaking. And my heart this morning dances, not because of the amount of people. My heart dances because God's calling us out. He's doing it. And it is His work. Now let's pray. I want to just pray over you. And I know that God's already broke the curse. The curse can't pass through the blood. But I want to pray this over you. I pray this over the ladies at Teen Challenge when I get a chance. I want to pray it over you this morning. And while I'm doing that, I want you behind them to begin to pray for them. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your great grace. I thank you for your everlasting mercy to us. And in your name, Lord, I know that you've already broke the assignments off of our life through the shedding of your blood. But this morning, I remind this group of people that every assignment that was placed on their life Every assignment out of the pit of hell that's ever been placed in their life. This morning, we recognize and we're conscious that your blood has severed that assignment. Every curse that's ever been placed on these people. Every curse that's been spoken over them from birth on. Even some of them when they were in the womb, they were cursed by their parents. In Jesus' name, I speak the curse to be broken through the blood of the Lamb. You broke it over 2,000 years ago. And this morning, we break that curse. We declare it broken. And in your name, Jesus, I break every unkind word that's ever been spoken to these people. Ever been every unkind word ever spoken within their earshot or outside of their hearing. Every unkind thing that's ever been spoken to them in their home or outside of their home or at the workplace. Through your blood right now we declare it severed and broken that those words are not eternally affecting our life. Today they are broken through the blood of the Lamb. And we will be what you declare us to be. Not what's been spoken that we are. And I pray these folks, as you call, put that call and call it out of them this morning. I pray the living favored God would hover over their life. That they'd not know a day without your presence. That not know a day of not being conscious of your provision and your grace. 
from the youngest to the oldest this morning, would you touch them? I pray in the name of Jesus. So now would you just begin to pray over them? You who are behind them, would you begin to pray for them? Lord, in Jesus' name, renew us, my Jesus. Renew us, my Jesus.